Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light bringing you home to the family you never knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every great conversation happens. And it happens because we trusted Brendan and Fomzi at MasterTalk to show us the power of effective communication. We also make sure we have a great cup of coffee from a third day coffee, Seguin, a Christ-centered veteran-owned coffee company today on the show. We have Dr. Thomas Jordan. How are you doing, Tom? Oh, very good. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. And just so everybody knows, I did ask before I called him Tom. I said, what do you want to go by? So (laughs) I'm not just automatically um, disapproving or being rude of the fact that he is. We're all friends. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Within five minutes, we became the quickest of friends. And I appreciate that very much. So, guys, I want to give you a little background information on uh, Dr. Thomas Jordan, Tom, my my good pal, which I am (laughs) excited for because we we have this kindred spirit already. Mm. Um, He said he loves spontaneity. And uh, it's, it's one of the greatest things about conversation. You you tend to have the best conversations when you can have them open and just free flowing. So, mm-hmm. but let me give you a little bit of background information for those that don't know uh, Dr. Thomas Jordan and all the great things that we're going to talk about today. He is the author of Learn to Love, a guide to healing your disappointing love life, where he pulls from his wealth of knowledge and experience over the past 33 years, where he has helped thousands of individuals and couples enjoy fulfilling relationships and experience satisfying long-lasting love lives because guess what guys he is a psychotherapist amongst many other things <laughs> which we're going to talk about today so tom mm. that you know and i was telling you before we went live thank you for what you do for people because i i studied psychology in college and i stopped at my bachelor's degree because i thought i wanted to go on. Uh, I stopped at my bachelor's because I said, that is very consuming. Um, it's very hard to help people. It's very, um, it can, it can weigh on you. So 33 years in the field. Yes. Um, it's harder at the beginning. Okay. When you've done it for a while, it gets easier. Mm. Uh, what also makes it easier is when you work on your own mind. Oh. Uh, so having a personal therapy experience for oneself as a psychotherapist, as, as a psychologist, I think is also very useful. And what it does is it makes it easier to separate out your patient's difficulties from your own or your own issues. So things like that make it easier to do it over time. And, you know, my patients have taught me things about how to be their doctor over time. And oh. that's also an accumulated experience. Um, so, and I work in a very interpersonal manner 
with my patients. So um, I get a lot out of the experience as well. So it's a continual experience of learning and changing, and it gets better all the time. Interesting. So there's there's a lot of different fields, right, when it comes to working with the psyche and working with individuals, personalities, what they're going through. What made you work with relationships? Uh-huh. Um, three things. Uh, I became interested in finding a solution to the divorce rate, mm. which has no solution quite yet. Yeah. And as I understand, it's a hovering over 50% for first marriages, goes up to 60% for second marriages, and wow. a whopping 73% for third marriages. Wow. And what that tells me is that something's happening in our love lives that's repeating, replicating over and over again. So that was one of the first things I noticed. I'm a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst by profession, so... My uh, my practices was and is primarily interested in working with individuals, growth-oriented kind of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed this divorce rate. I kept thinking about it. I read about it. I started to do research in my practice, accumulating data, getting a sense of what people might be repeating in their love lives, for example, that are yeah. creating problems especially people in multiple marriages and what happened in those multiple marriages. So um, my research led me to a point where I realized that what was going on in my opinion, from what I saw is that people are learning things about love relationships that are unconscious. They're not aware of what they're learning. And in many instances, in fact, you could say 50% of those instances, (laughs) what they've learned is unhealthy. Mm. And what they're learning, they're learning about love relationships from the relationship experiences they have in life, starting from the beginning of life. So I, I started defining love life as not only romantic relationships, but any and all relationships involving the emotion of love, starting from the beginning of life. So when you come out of your mother's womb and you open your eyes, that's your first love relationship. Right. All the way to the end of life. Um, the third that was that that conclusion was the second reason that I and then I wrote the book based on that understanding because I wanted to write a book that could be used as a guidebook, easy to read, that people could begin developing the consciousness to look inside to mm-hmm. change their love life. And then the third item was the changes I made in my own love life. Um, back in the uh, early 90s, late 80s, uh, when I was in personal therapy, Uh, My own therapist pointed out to me that I was using some things that my family had taught me about relationships that weren't working so well. Um, And when I began to focus on that, I started making changes in my understanding of who eligible people were and, uh, and how to be in a love relationship that's healthy, healthier perhaps than what I learned earlier in life. And uh, those changes resulted in Victoria showing up, and I've been married for 28 years. Well, congratulations so, on 28 years. So I, so I said, well, maybe something's right. And before that, <laughs> I got married at 41. Before that, I think I was in a lot of disappointing relationships one after the other, kind of confirming what my therapist was talking about. Yeah. I, I think it's very fascinating because – when you talk about your first love relationship being your mother, 
or the person that you spend the most time with as a mm-hmm. child because not everyone has their mother right. But you learn how to see the world through how you're being treated, what type of relationships you have with the people around you. Yep. Um, and I look back at my first marriage. I'm the 50, I'm on that 50%, right? I look back at my first marriage and it was pretty much went the same way as what I had learned growing up, the Uh yelling, the screaming and all the other Uh stuff. And when I started studying psychology and learning those conscious things that you were talking about, I was like, why am I doing this? I didn't realize I was just repeating behaviors that I had learned. Uh So it's, it's very fascinating that you said the unconscious, you're unconsciously repeating things. You learn those, those relationships that throughout your life. So In your book, you talk about how to bring forward that conscious thought in those relationships? Uh, Yes. Um, I began, once I I got a good sense of what was going on in a, what I like to call a disappointing love life, the three R's, repetition, replication, and recreation. Mm. Repetition is the same themes show up again and again. That indicates that learning is going on. And learning is a very user-friendly concept because we learn from the beginning of life. Um, So learning is something that people can identify with. And if you learn, you can unlearn and learn something better. And we've all had experiences of having to update what we've learned. I mean, think of a job, you know, in a job where there's an evolution of how people do things. You have to unlearn the old and learn something new. It applies to our personal experiences as well. Um. So uh, the, uh, the learning that can take place can take place, as you describe it, in a relationship with mother or caretaker. It can also take place by observing the relationships of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, less frequently, it takes place uh, in instruction. People have uh, uh, sometimes they, they report experiences where an uncle, an aunt, an older sibling this is how you act in a relationship when you fall in love. Mm. And so they get a little bit of direct learning in that respect, but it's fundamentally unconscious and that's the problem. So to become conscious of what's unconscious, I had to think about what goes on in the mind that controls love life experience. In my book, I describe what I call the psychological love life. The psychological love life contains three things in my experience. The experiences that you've had in your love life, as we described it, starting from the beginning of life, what you've learned from those experiences, and after effects if they were unhealthy. Uh, in my book, I, I describe 10. It's now 12. I've added two uh, unhealthy relationship experiences that showed up a lot in the lives of the patients that I've treated over the years. So I started collecting, compiling this list, Uh, things like abandonment, abuse, neglect, exploitation, uh, self-centeredness, rejection, experiences where um, if people repeat them in their love life, Mm -hmm. they're going to create problems, obviously, right? So I put together 12 of those uh, experience, 12 of those experiences now, and um, the, then the, the learning that can come from those experiences 
occurs in what you believe about love relationships, how you behave when you're in a love relationship, and the feelings that you have when you're in a love relationship. For example, if you've had the unfortunate experience of abandonment by a parent or caretaker when you were young, and unfortunately, too many people have that experience. Very true. It is possible to have that experience influence your love life in the way in which you think about what you believe about love relationships. And if you have an intimate conversation with people who've suffered abandonment, they oftentimes admit, well, you know, love relationships, they always end. Somebody leaves. The abandonment tends to color their expectations and beliefs about love relationships. That's a problem. Uh, When you look at how they behave in a love relationship, people can be in an unconscious cycle of abandonment, or they can pick partners who are abandoning. Mm. And I've seen both occur. Um, uh, Why do we pick people that are abandoning? When we've had these experiences, powerful experiences, they can shape our expectations, shape what's familiar. This is all happening in the back room yeah. of our minds. And as a consequence, this is what we find. The feeling part of it is almost like a tag. And it's 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 very mysterious in a way. Like the the feeling that comes with abandonment is loss. Mm. So when it, it's it, it, people who are repeating abandonment in their love life, you see the experience of loss showing up repeatedly throughout their experience until they reach a point of resignation. And in the book I talk about, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that get to resignation. They make so many repeated experiences that are unhealthy, they get to a point where they swear off on love. This is going to happen over and over again. I became aware of that population of people. Uh, I have a a blog that I've had up since 2012 uh, called the lovelifelearningcenter.com. And uh, Mm -hmm. I wanted to have like an online library where people could get some really solid, accurate advice about love life issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wrote this this post a while back called uh, Living Without Love in Your Life. And boy, did I get an avalanche of commentary on that one. Uh, So much so that I revised my post a couple of times and I I really read these these, uh, commentaries very clearly, very, very carefully. And they they taught me things about what goes on when people enter into that state of resignation. So that's a very important population. I do believe that it's, and I've have, I have currently, and I've had patients who were in resignation and came back into their love lives. Once they became conscious of what they had learned and they were beginning to unlearn it and learn something healthier. So it's very hopeful for people. uh, And oftentimes it happens when people reach their forties, fifties, and sixties and have a string of disappointments that have been quite hurtful to them. Um, yeah. So well, the psychological uh, love life was basically the, the the psychological area where a person can make permanent changes in their love life experience from the inside out. Yeah, and it's it's a subject that a lot of people are scared to talk about. 
um, their love life is is a very intimate um, subject. Uh-huh. And it's hard for people to open up about things or experiences, even how they deal with relationships. So you hear a lot of people go, don't share your business. Don't don't share the the relationship with your partner to anybody else. It's between you, you two and things like that. So to be able to open up and and share those things, even with a therapist, because a lot of people still, even in 2022, which I don't understand, mm-hmm. still feel that it's taboo to talk to a therapist. It's it's such an intimate subject. So I find it amazing and inspiring when people are able to open up about one of the most intimate things about their life and talk to somebody that they don't know, go to a therapist when in 2022, people still, for some reason, think that it's a taboo thing to talk to a therapist. So when, when you're talking to people, do you, do you feel that in the beginning they have a hard time opening up? Yes, always. Yeah. Uh, people are a little, uh, concerned about what they're going to hear, especially if they've been hurt multiple mm. times. And that's something you have to understand and oftentimes acknowledge mm-hmm. so that trust can form and uh, people get the sense that you're not there to hurt them. Yeah. You're there to empower them, mm-hmm. help them understand something. I like to think of the love life as one of the last frontiers that people work on. And I use that phrase, work on your love life, mm-hmm. quite a bit. We work on everything else. We work on our finance life, work life, <laughs> uh, gym life, medical life, everything. Yeah. Why don't we work on our love life? And I'm going to answer that question. Mm. And it's an answer you're probably not expecting. Oh, I'm, I'm intrigued. Because up until recently, what you learn about love is the province of the family of origin. Mm. And that has been a sacred place that you don't mess with. It's true. And if you look at the legal system and how it's changed regarding issues of abuse, mistreatment, years ago, they were very protective of what occurs in the family of origin. It is a sacred place where people are supposed to grow up and you don't mess with it. What we're learning is that there can be unhealthy things that can happen in the family of origin that affect the person's life for a lifetime. So we have to be able to tolerate understanding, in my experience, what we've learned in our family of origin that may not be working for us as adults. Mm. Uh, Just because my mother taught me that women were dependent, controlling, and self-centered doesn't mean I love dear old mom. Yeah. What it means is that I'm trying to understand learning experiences that shape what I expect in my love life that are not working for me. They didn't work for her as well. That's a footnote, but we don't have to go there. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people feel that maybe they're abandoning their family if they don't believe or follow the same things as Mm. everything. Mm. And I experienced that and I had them break a kind of semi- break from my family because of it. I, I left at the age of 19 and joined the military and I kind of broke away from them because I felt I don't, I don't fit 
I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not the same as everybody. I don't have the same beliefs. I, I grew up this way, but I just don't feel the same way. But then I, I came back after I, I had some emotional growth and I realized I can still love my family for who they are. I just don't have right. to believe and act the same way and do all the same things. And I can love them for every ounce of who they are. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is you can, you can still respect who they are, but you don't have to be them. And yes. Yeah. yeah. But there's a little journey there. Mm. Uh, you took your journey by going into the military and it oh, exposed yeah. to the outer world. And that provided you some wisdom about reflecting on your family. Uh, mm-hmm. When you initially encounter some of the difficulties, some of the feelings, Ugh. perhaps hurts that were created in the family. I think at the beginning, it's a little hard to work on the acceptance. You sort of have to heal the hurts first. Mm-hmm. And once you've healed the hurts, then you can get to a point where you realize, okay, I love them anyway, even though they had their shortcomings, even though they had their limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we're able to, and a little, it, we're, I mean, in my profession, People are more aware of traumas, working more directly with traumas, mm-hmm. um, able to see how mistreatment can evolve into symptoms and psychological problems. So this is very good. It's a freedom now to pay attention to how interpersonal difficulties can lead to the kind of mental illness that people replicate and recreate in their love life as adults or in their general life, or in how they feel about themselves as adults. So now that we see the connection a little bit more uh, and can work with it more openly, I think it's a really good thing. Now, you haven't always been a psychotherapist. Before you went into this line of work, which was before college, you know, going through high school and growing up, what did you always dream of working on relationships? What was your what was your <laughs> dreams and aspirations before you started doing the relationship thing? Um, I grew up in a family with four brothers. I'm mm. three in in the line of four. No sisters. Okay. Okay. So I was I didn't have the privilege of growing up with a sister, which I think would have provided a corrective experience for me a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I took care of that later as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Female friends uh, can help in that regard, you know. Um, but uh, my mother was an unhappy person who never really separated from her family of origin. Her parents, she was an only child. Her parents lived upstairs from us. And uh, my father worked for my grandparents. And um, my mother felt a little trapped. Mm. And uh, she couldn't quite articulate that to my father, who worked all the time. And her parents, who really were old country people. So I moved into the role of confidant. And now this was at a very early age. We'd have very intimate conversations about her feelings and so on. And I'm talking about 11, 12 years old. And I must confess, I started buying books on psychology and psychiatry. Wow. And I wow. kept them up in the attic. And I read them. And I understood some of what I was reading, but not all. 
And little by little, it evolved into an interest in helping people. Now, my mother was my first treatment case, but I failed miserably. <laughs> I have to admit that right away. Um, um, and, you know, before she passed, about a year before she passed, we had a very interesting conversation where she said, you know, Tom, I'm responsible for who you are. And I, yeah. oh, I had to giggle. And I think I knew what she talked about, but she was an old woman at the time and I didn't want to present an alternate view, you know, <laughs> the advantage yeah. had disadvantages, if you yeah. know what I mean, because there are certain burdens that come. There's a, um, I discovered a concept called parentification. Mm. When, an, when, when a parent encourages parenting functions in a child, mm. the child can rise to the occasion and take care of the parent. But it's a burden as well yeah. as a privilege. Yeah. On the one hand, I should I, I should have been playing outside with with the kids rather than holding my mother's hand and listening to her uh, cycle of unhappiness and feeling stuck. Um, on the other hand, it inspired me to be interested in understanding people's emotional pains and difficulties. So therein is the uh conundrum of living right yeah. things can be good and bad at the same time and so um oh i'll give you another example of that in, in my practice which i've learned over the years um people don't change ordinarily mm. unless they're in crisis mm. i've learned i mean very few if no patients have ever come into my office and said, Dr. Jordan, hey, how are you? My, hat, my life is wonderful. I want to do some changing <laughs> in my emotional life. I don't get that. Yeah, right. Actually, something's wrong. Yeah. Uh, something feels bad. There's emotional pain. So um, there, the, the conflicts that the role in my family created were also opportunities for growth and change. Mm. And motivation to pursue a higher degree in this particular field so there it is <laughs> yeah I, I i love that because a lot of people don't realize that that the change happens when when you're going through these crises when you're in a steady state yeah. you just go right mm -hmm. i mean i didn't start studying psychology until um we found out my the reason why my mother was the way she was growing up um, was because she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in her forties. And I just thought that she was wild. And, you know, when she would throw soda cans at our head and we would duck and make sure that we didn't get hit and she would have outbursts and stuff. And I, I thought, well, that was just normal life. And then when I found out she was diagnosed and then I went through what I went through with my first husband and the abuse. And I said, well, there's something wrong here. I want to study and learn, you know, why, I'm allowing certain things to happen and I think it's normal. So yep. I went through that so that I could learn and become, I wanted to learn how to become more emotionally intelligent so I could mm -hmm. change something in my life. So when I did go into another relationship and because I was raising small children, I could become a better version of myself. Um, and, and it was those, those two crises happening simultaneously that, that helped me do that. And, and it's it's astounding that people don't realize that you know yeah that, to, that's yeah, mm -hmm, go right. ahead uh, and to be to be attracted to 
the very thing that hurts us. Yeah. Because it, and here's the dirty word, familiar. Mm. And the root of familiar is family. Yeah. So uh, the familiar can be healthy or unhealthy. I, I, I want to also put in a qualifier that when we were talking about the family of origin, if they teach you healthy things and that's what you replicate and recreate, beautiful. Yeah. You don't even have to become aware of it. Yeah, that's the good you, part of you life. Could, you could, you, <laughs> I mean, I, I, have, I have met people that have formed enduring love relationships because that's what they saw. That's what they lived through. Yeah. Oh, mom and dad were together for 50 years. I'm together with my wife for 40. Wonderful. Mm. You learn something. You might not know what it is. You might not have had a direct experience of digging it out of your mind, but you didn't have to. Yeah. So um, when having to become aware of the psychology, and, and sometimes people get like little confused, like, what are you saying? They say to me, are you saying that I changed my love life by changing myself? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what most people don't want to hear, unfortunately, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because <laughs> um, people have this conception, well, I'll change what's on the outside, go to a different place, uh, go on vacation to a different location, uh, yeah. wear my hair differently, yeah. Or, yeah. or wear a hat instead of, well, I mean, the point is, it's on the inside mm -hmm. that the changes come. So let me tell you a little bit about the unlearning method, which mm. is the latter part of the book. With all of this understanding of the psychological love life and the disappointing love relationship and what's going on in there, what do we do about it? So in my book, I call it the unlearning method. It's a three-step method um, that I think is very intimately in the process of change, how we change psychologically. Step one is to identify the psychological love life. Mm -hmm. And consciousness is one of, next to learning, consciousness is up there as one of our great assets. And in order to make a change in our emotional lives, consciousness is fundamentally necessary, I believe. Mm -hmm. Now, people will say, Yes, but you can have experiences and really not understand what's going on and make a change. Yes, but the kind of changes we're talking about today, these are very deliberate. If you discover that you grew up in a home where there was uh, too much dishonesty and you're picking dishonest partners or you're being dishonest in your love life, understanding the importance of that and how you might make a change in that is very specific. It's very tailored to your individual experience. So step number one is to identify what unhealthy relationship experiences from that list of 10 or 12 uh, had an impact on my love life. You may have gone through something that didn't have an impact. I know plenty of people, thank God, that have gone through abusive relationships when young and didn't replicate it in their love life. Okay, that's fine. But... I know plenty of people who did. So trying to understand what's going on in one's psychological love life and identify what's in it. I mentioned learning and I mentioned after effects. Just to give you a little thought about after effects. What I mean by after effects is that when experience is hurtful, we do things like we become defensive. Mm. There's a million ways to be defensive. 
and people oftentimes create defenses to cope with hurts that occur in their love life. Mm -hmm. Another one, a big one, is trying to change love partners. I haven't found a successful case yet. I'm still looking. <laughs> I marry you, but I'm going to make you a better man. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. Another one, uh, another coping uh, uh, item is uh, people who substitute partners. Mm. I'm looking for the perfect partner. Oh, next, next, next. Uh, and it becomes an endless cycle of relationships that always disappoint. So all three of those can occur as ways to cope, but they add insult to injury. They're adding more difficulty to the love life issue. So step one, identify the psychological love life. Step two is to challenge it. It is like a blueprint in the back room. Once it's made conscious, we can begin to challenge it, disrupt it not allow it to have the kind of automatic functioning it prefers. So mm -hmm. the wonderful thing, one another quality human beings have that I love is their ability to be therapeutically in conflict. And what do I mean by that? I mean, this is the habit. This is what you want to do instead of that. So there's going to be a period of time where I have both in, a, in my mind. This is what I've learned to do. This is what I know is healthier. So I'm going to be in a bit of a conflict with these two for a little while till I strengthen what I want to do and weaken the habit. So um, I think that in step two, you become really good at taking a look at how this psychological love life that hasn't been working too well replicates and gets recreated in your love life oh this is one of those kind of guys i'm not going to talk to him anymore because he's going to give me heartburn or <laughs> um i'm acting the same way i've acted before in a love relationship that's caused disappointments let me see if i can change that becoming aware of what we've learned so we can challenge it and weaken the automatic recreating force that goes on in our love lives. Step three is when we create and practice something healthier. So um, if I grew up in a home where there was too much dishonesty and I've recreated disappointing relationships, either by picking dishonest partners or recreating dishonesty myself, um, I'm going to realize the importance of honesty in a love mm -hmm. relationship. And as I become aware of that, and I've challenged the recreation of dishonest relationships in my love life, I'm interested now in finding an honest love partner. Hmm. Now, the sensitivity that's involved in that awareness is very important because what it does is it encourages a person to begin thinking about, how am I going to do this? Where are the honest people? How do I become aware that I'm actually sitting with an honest person? What do I have to look for? What do I have to see? What do I have to hear? Do I see honesty in their behavior? Do I hear honesty in their stories? A conscious focus on finding an honest partner because you realize honesty is the antidote to what you've experienced earlier in life. 
offers an opportunity to begin steering your love life in a healthier and better direction. I learned that women, eligible women, were dependent, controlling, and self-centered. Dear old mom taught me that. Because hmm. she was hmm. dependent, controlling, and self-centered. Self-centered out of the fact that she was having this emotional pain she couldn't get away from. She was focused yeah. on that all the time. So when I left home, I found, you guessed it, dependent, controlling, and self-centered people, one after another. We experienced the difficulties of that over and over again. In fact, it was so powerful that when I found the person who wasn't those three things, I imagined they were. Mm. That's how powerful it was. When I understood that this was going to be a problem and I had to go inside, take a look at what my psychology in my love life was about, I began to challenge it and learn that I need to find an independent, not controlling, and intimate person in my love life, the opposite of self-centered. Mm -hmm. I looked around for a while had a few female friends to learn a little bit about female psychology, <laughs> <laughs> like an internship. Um, <laughs> then Victoria popped up. Not controlling, not dependent, intimate. I got married. Mm. So, okay, what the hell did I do? Did something. <laughs> yeah. I challenged something. I got... In fact, I, you know, I got petrified. I, I thought, wait a minute. Um, I could be making the same mistake over and over again for the rest of my life. Oh. Not good enough. So women became like, I think I walked around with these magnifying glasses on. It's like, what kind of woman are you? <laughs> <laughs> How about you? <laughs> and yeah. I discovered that some people were ready for a relationship and some weren't. Yeah. I discovered that women could be independent and not dependent. My wife, Victoria, had a, a practice, had an apartment, had her own life. My mother never had that. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't controlling in a relationship. There wasn't possessiveness in a relationship. We grew our relationship slowly over time. And she was intimate. She told me about her personal experiences. She listened when I talked about mine. There was a sense of intimate exchange that went on between the two of us. And I, I realized, wow, this is, this is a lot different than what I had learned from the female model in my family. Right. So it, it was a, a consciousness expanding experience. Mm. And I wanted yeah. my book to be able to uh, invite people to begin that process, basically. And what in your book, what would you think you would want the readers to have the biggest takeaway from? Um, I need to work on my love life. Okay. That's if I can. And two takeaways. One is I need to work on my love life. It's something you can work on. Mm -hmm. You don't have to accept the way it is. You don't have to be blinded to what's going on, what's in control of your love life from the inside out. So you can work on your love life. And number two, learning. It's about learning. Mm -hmm. It's not some innate genetic 
thing that you can't get your hands on. It's learning. We are learners, yeah. big-time learners. And when we learn unconsciously through experience, we don't know what we're learning. We don't even know that we are learning. Very true. So when we shine a light on that and discover what we've learned, people are, are empowered to make change. That's what I want. And I put it in the title, Learn to Love. Hmm. Wait a minute. What's he talking about, Learn to Love? And if I go out on the street with a little mic, right? Uh, excuse me, sir. What did you learn about love relationships? Get away from me, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excuse me, ma'am. What did you learn about love relationships? What did I learn? What do you mean learn? Learn. Yeah. We have a bit of a blind spot there, and that's why I, uh, I'm very interested in getting this out. This is a little self-published book. I won five book awards. Congratulations. <laughs> wow. With a little self-published book. Very easy to read. Nothing fancy. You can tuck it in a pocket and just begin to believe that you can work on your love life. So we can do something about that 50% divorce rate. I want to knock that down. Yeah. Uh, I, I put together a, a PowerPoint presentation because images can sometimes talk very strongly to people. Yeah. And it it it's a it it takes the essence of the book, puts it in PowerPoint, and I'm hoping at some point in this year to begin doing it in front of live audiences because with a little Q and A at the end, uh -huh. that's that's my uh, upcoming project. Uh, it's just wonderful to have an audience full of people that are thinking about working on their love life. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, if they learn all of this stuff before they get into a relationship, they learn how then, then they're going to pick the right partner. So then they won't ever be a part of that 50%. Probability right? goes up. Yeah. Yes. I mean, nothing's perfect, but with right. that kind of consciousness, uh, and, and, you know, it might come down to leaving a relationship earlier if you pick the wrong person. Before the marriage, before right. the long term, before right. the kids, the dogs, the house. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and before the thoughts that I'm going to change him and make him a better partner. I'm going to change her and make her a better partner mm. and spend the next 10 years trying to do it. No. Right. People don't change because we want them to. People change because they want to. Absolutely. A good friend of mine once said, you know what the secret to love relationships is? I said, what's that? He said, find someone whose faults you can live with. That's true. Find someone and you that... you don't have to change anybody. Yeah. And they change themselves and you can relax. <laughs> because trying to change someone is an aggravation yeah. in a relationship. It is. I don't accept you for who you are. You could be better. I won't leave you, but you could be better. What? I'm going to stop resenting you. Yes. I'm going to be very resistant. Mm. So it, it, it never works. Yeah. First thing to do is ask yourself, can I accept the person as he or she is? If not, leave, mm. set everybody free, and find someone you can accept. Amen. Yeah. So if you had one piece of advice, I, obviously you have a lot of advice in that we all want. I mean, but if you had just one, if you had to narrow it down to one that you could leave somebody with so that they could go and 
grab some other pieces of advice? What would be that one piece of advice, that well, one nugget? I've said it a few times. I'm going to say it again. Work on your love life. Mm. And, and if you're having difficulty in your love life, pause, sit back, and think about the idea that you can work on it so that you can get past whatever stigmas that you mentioned earlier or uh, uh, ambivalences or, or disbelief and begin to think of your love life as something you can work on like any other part of your life. There is a method of working on your love life. All you got to do is begin to look inside at what the psychological learning what patterns have been recreated, and start to see the repetition. If you look at your love life on a sort of continuum from beginning to where you are now, um, and you're having a disappointing love life, you're going to see the repetition. Yeah. And that's a clue that there's some kind of learning going on. Uh, can I tell you a two-minute? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I The most powerful example of this was a long time ago, I sat with a person, a woman, in her early 50s. I was doing an initial intake of, you know, the person's history and experiences, and I asked her about her family life. And she said she grew up with an alcoholic, a violent father who abused, physically abused her mother, and she and her siblings witnessed this. Okay. Then I asked her about her current adult love life. She said she married two alcoholic, violent men, and her boyfriend was in the process of, of becoming abusive as well. So I paused and I said, do you think there's a relationship between when you grew up and what's happening in your love life? And this is an extremely intelligent person. Um, well-educated, she looked at me. What? There was no connection between the past and the present. And I never forget the look she gave me. She had never connected those two to say to herself, I might be taking my family of origin experience and replicating a piece of that in my love life. That obviously became an important part of our work together was to connect those two so we could not only help her handle what was going on with her boyfriend, but stop the pattern of finding familiar abusive men over and over again. So um, knowing that you can work on your love life is a very, very important initial step. So that would be my advice to people. Yeah, it's also very empowering because a lot of people think that they're just doomed, like you said, the ones that give up, the people that mm -hmm. just end up being a, saying, I'm just going to be alone forever. And then when you talk to them and you, they realize that they don't have to be alone forever, then they come back into the world. Oh, so it's, it's definitely very empowering. Uh -huh. So where can people reach you at? I've already put your links in the comments here on Facebook and YouTube, but when we put it over on the podcast, they can't see them. So if you could uh, give them a website or yes. something. Yeah. Love life learning center.com is my blog slash website. And there's information there about my, my wife and I, we offer um, tele telehealth consultations for people that, 
uh, might read the book and decide they need a little support to get through the stages of beginning to work on their love life. Um, so, and there are a lot of nice little blog posts that uh, been up there for a while that I think have been helpful to people. And if you want to write a little commentary, I answer all commentary. So um, <laughs> that's another way to have a little interaction. That's great. I, I love that you offer telehealth because there's there's so many people all over the world and sometimes they don't connect right where they're at. So yeah. being able to connect regardless of your physical location is uh -huh. so important. I believe that. So thank you for offering telehealth because for somebody like myself who suffers from extreme social anxiety, uh, being in close proximity of people makes my anxiety get even worse. So uh, the telehealth thing that is going around right now has helped me so much be able great. to connect with individuals. So I commend you for expanding great. that opportunity for so many people because my mental health has been phenomenally impacted in a good way from the telehealth opportunities that uh, are out there. So thank you very much. You. So my last quote, well, I have two more questions before I let okay. you go for the All day, right. since I've been taking up your whole entire no, 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 no. so far. <laughs> I've enjoyed every minute. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, where, what is your next project that you have coming up uh, now that your book is published? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. The, uh, the PowerPoint presentation and live audiences. Uh, I, I, I would love to get a, uh, uh, an, an hour long presentation, develop some of these ideas, pass them along, and then get Q&A responses from the audience. I'm looking forward to that. And have an experience of working on Love Life. Start that step one, you know, in a live presentation. So that's that's really what I'm looking forward to doing. So I've been I've been combing my uh, PowerPoint presentation for a year, or so uh, over and over and over, so I can convey the ideas in a way that people will grasp quickly. Because imagery, imagery is uh, when they're accompanying ideas, it's a very powerful medium to get them across. You know, so I selected images in my PowerPoint that are. Uh, some of them are funny. Some of them are, are, are powerful, mm. um, emotional, serious images. Pow uh, some of them are kind of paradoxical. So uh, it's an experience that I want to create when I when I get around to doing these uh, live presentations. Yeah. And people learn in different ways. You talk about That's the right. continuous learning experience throughout your entire life and relationships. Well, everyone learns in different ways. They can learn from reading your book. Well, now you're providing people who learn not by reading, but by uh -huh. seeing. Yes. Those, yes. Those visual right, learners, you're right. giving them an opportunity Absolutely. to. Absolutely. So it, that's a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic thing that you're doing. So you're thinking on all these different uh, yeah. corners. So. Brilliant. Wonderful Absolutely. analysis. Absolutely brilliant. So my last question for you, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to share with our audience? Because there's so many, there's so many different corners of your, your cube here that you have that I'm just, I'm finding out as we talk more and I'm like, okay, well, I can't take your entire day, but I just want to make sure if there's anything that we haven't brought up, I want to no, give you the opportunity. I think, I think your expertness as an interviewer has uh, covered all of them. <laughs> I, I, can I make an observation? You I'm have to go always... back to school and get your master's degree in psychology. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I've got one. I've got two children in college. Okay. So once they're done, maybe uh, I will just because I love learning. I'm yes, always taking yes. a course somewhere. Oh, so we need maybe you. just we need you. <laughs> and but I don't know if I for interviewing. Yes, I will get my it's more psychology for interviewing because this is this is my gig right here. I love talking to people. Uh, uh. Absolutely. And I think the telehealth thing, since the pandemic, I think the telehealth thing has become, as you were pointing out, a reality. It's another way in which to evolve mental health into society. We've realized the importance of that. Um, I'm on the phone now with all my patients. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going back to the office, but I've discovered so many things about uh, telehealth that are very curious and interesting. A lot of people have opened up perhaps a little bit more than they would have had they been in person. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of stuff to learn as a consequence of this. So once again, crisis becomes opportunity. And that's that's a beautiful thing. Amen. Well, Tom, Dr. Jordan, all of the above, thank you so much for being here today. I've had an absolute blast and it's been such an insightful conversation because, you know, I I have been down that learning path in, in love relationships, family relationships as well. So to, to understand it a little bit more from a psychological and psychotherapist standpoint is very enlightening. So thank you for sharing that and for writing that amazing book. You have it a little bit closer there, right? I see it in the background, but yeah. So people can see that and the book awards as well. Yeah, there's this four, there's one more, but I I couldn't fit it across. (laughs) (laughs) A little self-published book wins five awards. (laughs) Which is astounding because self-publishing is not easy and then to win awards is even harder Uh, well when you write something that people need to know about i think that's the formula um and you write it simple don't get too psycho babble or too much you know too many obscure concepts it's easier for people to absorb and get something out of it thank you for inviting me cj i had a good time as well awesome Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And guys, don't forget to come back each week and watch us either live or on the podcast right here on Facebook. You can ask Alexa or Siri to play our latest episode. Head to our website or catch the latest issue of the magazine, which came out in January. Our new one is coming out the 4th of April. We want to continue making authors' dreams come true by providing them a platform to shine. We'll see you guys next time. And if you appreciate conversations like we do and want to become a better speaker, visit our friends Brendan and at mastertalk.ca where they teach you how to use the power of your voice. Don't forget, stay awake with a nice cup of coffee from Third Day Coffee Seguin. Best cup of coffee on this side of heaven. That's thirddaycoffeeseguin.com. Until next time, my friends, I'm CJ. That's Dr. Thomas Jordan. Make sure you go read his book and catch his seminar whenever it comes to you. And right on. Bye, Tom. We'll see you guys Bye-bye. later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Take care. Be well. Thanks. The Author's Forge is a certified veteran-hosted podcast. Show your support. Tune in, share, and subscribe.